What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Crypto Bobby. I hope you are having a great day, great night, wherever you are watching or listening in from. And welcome to another episode on the podcast. And we have a recurring guest here. This is, I think, third time's a charm. First time with Travis Kling, second time with uh, Jake Blish. And now we got you one-on-one here. So I'm here solo in the booth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, solo in the booth, obviously, uh, aka my living room. But uh Wanted to pop into just a couple of the topics that are happening going down this week to talk to you a little bit, uh, just on your thoughts about some of the tethers, some of the Bitfinex stuff. You've had some hot takes on Twitter recently, so we can dive into some of them. But I mean, I think the big thing, and and I've done this in the past, it's, it's the shitcoin of the week. Um, something I like to touch on every single week, and. I'll give you my shitcoin of the week right now, and it's actually something I have a long position in because why not? Like life's too short to not buy shitcoins on partnership news, and in that case, my shitcoin of the week is IOTA because it might not work, but they have a partnership with Jaguar, and my goal in life is to trigger people, um, trigger bag holders, and now I am a bag holder of IOTA. But hey, that's 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 the shitcoin of the week on my end. <laughs> You're here. You're here with the club now with IOTA. Uh, you know what's better than uh, one tangle is two tangles that don't communicate with each other whatsoever. Um, <laughs> and then that was like their whole like spin was always IOT like cars like the, the future of, of of everything. And I want to just know like who a Jaguar was like. Oh, this is a great idea. <laughs> like they probably had like a mandate. I think we were talking about at some point like uh, you know here's here's your your mandate for the year like do all these new experimental things and then like blockchain and, and then someone read the IOTA paper and was like all right that's it. They're focused on us, the, the car manufacturers. <laughs> and I kind of thought about it for the last couple seconds where I thought IOTA would be like a great like to double down on for Chicoin of the Week. But I'm also thinking Tron is up there as well because mm. as soon as the Bitfinex... Tron is, Tron is a sure bet Tron. for Shitcoin of the Week every week. I, I the Tron's a write-in. One, one of my favorites, I think back in the day, the ICO Drops guys used to have like good Tron, bad Tron like every week on, <laughs> on what they were doing. But like right after the Bit, Bitfinex news hit, they just doubled down on the whole Tron is now having Tether on their blockchain. Like, like it just didn't phase them at all that this was like, hey, maybe we should like hold for a second or see what's going on. They were like, no, no, we got Tether now. <laughs> like we, we figured out the, like the killer product fit for the Tron blockchain. You know, it's not Omni anymore that literally only exists to host Tether. Now we're just going to do Tron, you know, have it on Tron now as well. Two, two totally legit companies partnering in a totally, totally legit manner uh, for the benefit of the greater crypto and blockchain community. I mean, Tron and Tether is a match made in heaven if you look at it that way. And, and, and I just hope everyone also recalls back, you know, now, now that we're talking about Jaguar and IOTA, that people recall when they partnered with Microsoft. And, and <laughs> you mean they, they bought a Microsoft 365 membership and published it across 45 different blogs? They, and then I got yelled at from some from some IOTA exec because they made fun of them for that and they were not happy about it. Didn't, didn't they just become like a thing on Azure? Like even Stratus did that as well. Like they were just kind of like a deployable thing. But like, I think afterwards, I think did Microsoft like kind of pedal back and was like, wait, this isn't really like a like a thing. I don't I don't recall if that was the uh well to the point also of shitcoin of the week because I mean it's 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 too easy every week with Tron um but I don't know if you saw this but there was I guess Justin Sun got something sent from him from like Liverpool and I saw CZ got it the, the same video, exact thing the like, video in the mail yeah the video in the mail and he's like Liverpool partnership coming soon and there was an article like I think it was from Breaker Mag or somewhere else like six hours later like Liverpool rep says 
there is no partnership. <laughs> like the whole thing's like addressed to be like, yeah, we're going to partner together if you pay us enough. I think uh, it was Jesse Powell from Kraken who came on uh, came on Twitter and was like, yeah, we get the same thing all the time. They're just asking for money. Like, uh, and oh. then CZ did the tweet too, where he's like, oh look, you know, at least he framed it where he was like, we just got this in the mail. Like it's this cool thing from Liverpool. Like check it out. Justin Sun was immediately like, had to do his marketing thing where it's like, all right, we're already partnered with Liverpool. I, everyone's freaking out in the in the comments. Um, including probably the guy who got those two Teslas, whether or not he actually did, who knows? That was that was a great chill game. That was a, I mean... When your that, own community turns against you, you know you have to do something. Like, even the Tron bag holders were just like, we, you know, this is not good. Uh, like, Lord Lord and Savior Justin Sun is not budging on this. We need to get him to budge and give that guy a Tesla. And yeah. He did the whole my family thing, too. That like, was... I, I, I didn't realize that, that was me, ever going to be me, a thing in real me, life. Me, me familia with, like, the guy on the couch with his, like... Two, like two children like sir a tesla these these young children will never be able to have the joy of riding an elon musk's luxury automobile in their entire life thanks to you justin son like like 2017 2018 i knew exactly like you'd see that in every channel you'd see like it, it, it was either serious or someone just joking about it now in real life you have an example of this like documented with a photo of him and his family saying like we'll never be able to live again without this tesla and I guess he came through. I guess he came I mean, through. he got the Tesla. So shit, the guy played his cards right. I mean, that was that was definitely the move. And I mean, even to that point too. I mean, get on the on the car talk. Getting back to the original shitcoin of the week, um, Iota. And again, for the Iota bag holders that are that are mad at me, I also bought a truckload on a market buy. So whatever. But are they also partnering with a truck company too? Uh, I mean, hopefully yes, because I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna need a truck to like clear me out from once it actually drops because I'm an idiot for buying IOTA. But yeah, the 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 team of Jaguar is probably some like innovation lab team of Jaguar that gets paid like you know multiple six figures every year to sit in like a cubicle room with a couple like bouncy balls and big influencers. Yes, yes. It'd be like, what should we do with blockchain and buzzwords this week? Oh, this tangle thing. It's uh. Yeah, let's let's try it it's out. It's pretty tangled. It's great. It's uh, <laughs> it's got a tangle. It's it's really doing well, and uh, the community really loves it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy to think about with that. And then looking at like something that I've done in the past, just looking at hot takes on crypto Twitter. You had one that that I think angered a few people in in Ethereum land, and uh, I think it's also kind of funny because you're pretty pretty heavy into Ethereum land personally, um, but. You talked about this this new metric, this this kind of narrative that is money locked in DeFi or decentralized finance, and how it's a silly metric. You want to expand upon that further? You know, kind of justify yourself, maybe maybe fight back against the critics a little bit here. I mean, sure. Like the thing is, the money locked in DeFi thing became the shiny big number we could all point to and like say, hey, look. Look how much is locked in here, and it's like, okay, okay, great. Like that could even be the, like one person with a huge amount in it. Like, where's the, where, where's the meaning other than big number on screen? Um, and also, it was giving people an excuse to compare systems that were just apples and oranges. Like, you know, if why why would someone compare like lending to payment channels? Yeah, like two totally different like units, and this one shiny number was like the thing that was like, yeah, look, it's it it's a bigger number. And it just, it didn't make a lot of sense. And then I angered a lot in the Ethereum community. And don't, don't get me wrong. I'm trying to find like the, the, the shiny light in DeFi. Like I'm, I'm trying here. And, you know, a lot of people came back with some good rebuttals. Um, someone also came back and said, you know, it's, it's, we need, 
it, it started a discussion, which was good, that said we need to just couple that large shiny number with also meaningful things. So like so someone was talking about like lightning. So like, you know, number of open channels, how much is being passed between channels with that larger number up top, just adding to the amount of data that we have on these things. Uh, lending, okay, kind of gets a pass for money locked in it and how much is moving around. But like just using it as the end all to be all thing is what kind of got me was, you know, I, I got a little confused. I was a little annoyed by it because it kept coming up in conversation. Yeah. And I think my favorite joke out of all this is like, if it's just purely money locked in DeFi, uh, I think it was Nick Carter too who mentioned uh, multi-sigs, like <laughs> every, multi, every multi-sig should be it, but like parity, because that money's not going anywhere. Technically it's locked in DeFi. <laughs> by Dev, DevOps. Uh... Yeah, yeah, by DevOps 199. <laughs> like if it's been touched by the grace of DevOps that it's just a beautiful thing. Contract um, kill. Contract, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you can't withdraw this anymore. Um, but that should also be included in locked in DeFi because technically it's locked in DeFi. If DeFi is the narrative that the Ethereum, you know, group is going for, which is fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm like, again, not against DeFi, but that's a narrative. We got to be like a little more granular with what we talk about. I, um, yeah. I'm, I'm big on, I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly big advocate of DeFi. I like it. I think it's really interesting. Um, I love trying out like the different products and everything. I mean, BitMEX's insurance bond fund might be second place. I'm actually, is- I'm, to- I'm totally <laughs> kidding. I, I posted that as a joke and somebody was like, I think we have different, uh, I think it was uh, Cyber Hokey on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I posted that and they're like, I think we have different definitions of DeFi. And I was completely kidding, but it would be in second place behind MakerDAO, I believe, because it's like close to a hundred plus million dollars right now in the BitMEX insurance the fund. BitMEX insurance fund. Yeah. And, and the thing is too, like, like you said earlier, you, you've played around with these things. Is anyone playing around with these? Is like your mother playing around with DeFi right now? Oh, no. And, and, and the thing is, I, I think a lot of it is also, um, I think it's, it's Jacob who, who told me this analogy. And I still love it that we're all kind of in the same bathtub, just like pushing the same bathwater back and forth. That DeFi has just become like the enthusiast game that there's no real like retail that ne- has a need for this right now. This kind of censorship resistant, this, 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 uh, you know, no central authority lending borrowing slash, you know, you, you know, opening CDPs. It's just like, it's cool. You either have like Maker. It's going to be me and you opening smaller CDPs as enthusiasts where it's like, I'm going to put like, you know, 10 bucks in this and and, and get <laughs> $1 and die for every $3 in Ethereum. Like, you know, the logic is not there or it's traders going love long. Oh, yeah. And the DeFi liberating the masses. And the problem is the narrative is not caught up to the technology where when DeFi is sold, it's this we're going to liberate the masses. We're going to bank the unbanked. You know, world hunger is going to be over. Blockchain is going to solve cancer. But when it's just kind of these use cases, we have to be very honest with where we're at. It's like we're st- it's still an enthusiast game. We're in, you know, we're in the bathtub, splashing the water back and forth, the same water, or like we're in the same boat, oaring on one side. So we're going in a circle till the next wave comes over. Um, and that's kind of what's the aggravating part. It's not so much like money locked in DeFi as the Ultimate metric is annoying, but I think it's the it's the marketing catching up to the to the reality of the technology. Yeah, like even Dai right now, I'm a big fan of the MakerDAO project, what they're doing, and and I think Dai is 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 crazy, like how they have everything put together. But like they're still even having issues with stability. Like that's why I had to keep raising the stability fee so yeah. people would stop opening CDPs and start closing. And and we can talk about that. We could dive into that maybe a little bit more because I think that's something that's really interesting because people have pointed to the. The fact that Dai remained pretty damn stable from basically ETH at a thousand bucks to eighty dollars or whatever it bottomed out at, um, and pointed out like you know this is incredible. This is you know this this proves that that Dai is is legit and it can remain stable. But where Dai has now had issues with stability has been this 
kind of this recovery off the the hopeful bottom of the crypto markets where ETH has gone from $80 to you know $150 or so where it's at right now. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but like for, for me, I look at it and it kind of seems like the the MakerDAO CDP system to me works very, very well in a bear market where one is incentivized to actually hold a, you know, to hold die and to not be opening CDPs at all um, or to be, you know, constantly collateralizing them and over collateralizing them because you're going to get liquidated if you don't. Whereas like for somebody like myself, I opened up, I think two CDPs. I have one at like $105 and the other one at like 125 Right now, I'm still in the, I immediately took the die. I moved that to ETH. I, so I basically just went level long on it. And where the, you know, where we're at right now, it doesn't make sense for me to close my CDP, even though they've, <laughs> I opened it at 0.5% stability fee. And now it's up to like 15%. And I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. And, and that follows you too, right? Like yeah. now, now it, you're not like grandfathered. Yeah, no. when you close, you actually have to. I thought I thought you were up. I thought you and were grandfathered yeah, initially. During, I was like, oh yeah, during the seven point five raise, um, I remember that's when uh, I think th- at, right before seven point five kicked in, I think three million ish die. It was all closed up and it started to regain traction. But then again, you know, can't someone like essentially bring the system down if they just keep if someone with enough money? I mean, I guess for all these systems, like you get like a Bezos with a couple billion dollars, you just literally drop a bomb on these systems and just knock them out. Like if you're just opening CDPs for the sake of doing it and you have the money to just eat it, like you could just throw off the stability of this entire system, which, which again routes back to like marketing as hard as you can when the tech is just not ready yet. Yeah. Like solving all these problems and it's just not there yet. And again, I'm just glad the conversation when the Bitfinex thing happened and tether, the conversation went less from like, um, you know, the whole die stability slash, you know, um, how do we how do we bring the system back to look, it's auditable. And I thought that was kind of the more meaningful take on it was when the whole tether situation was going on, the MakerDAO slash die community was like, Hey, look, you know, it's all here. Yeah. Like there's there, there's there's nothing hiding, like as we saw with these kind of centralized services or tether operates kinda of in that gray area of, of stable coins, which is why it's been so weirdly uh, it's like a it's like a mythical <laughs> creature in the space. It's its own thing so what what's your take it's it's been covered pretty much i mean it's been beaten over the head but do you have any i guess interesting takes per se on what's been happening with bitfinex or tether do you kind of has anybody said anything that you agree with or if you have like kind of formulated any of your own opinions on it um at the end of the day like in terms of stablecoin land i'm still gonna pony up and be like the the really regulated ones or where kind of my safe haven is mm. um if i use stable coins where like you know, USDC, you know, Paxos, uh, TrueUSD, all those guys. Um, with Tether, it's always been a game of, this has been fun to watch. I've kind of always stayed on the sidelines of it. I haven't really, I've never hedged in Tether in particular, but I think it's a very dangerous thing if if Tether uh, were to fail. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Bitfinex as well kind of get caught up in that. And just to reiterate the story, was it like the case where... Um, Bitfinex had liabilities and then Tether was uh, used to cover it at the time. And that's when they kind of ch- changed it on the Tether website from like one-to-one to like a, a basket of different things, not just one-to-one, but like, you know, basically admitting to some kind of like fractional um, fractional reserve in that case. Yeah, essentially taking out a loan. And then I believe the the source of that, the source of the loan is, is no longer the payment processor that they utilize for it is not necessarily the most reliable 
of of sorts, and that money is seized and secured, not lost. Yeah. It's seized oh, and secured, yeah, with, so with we're the, good. With we're that good. company they were dealing with, was yeah. it like a South American company? Are they, uh, was it, was it also uh, Panama, Panama. Panama. Yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. That there's like two narratives going on where Bifinex and, and someone else in a chat I mentioned, I forgot who it was. Um, like one of the chats on Telegram was like, yeah, you know, Bifinex usually doesn't respond that quickly um, to these kinds of things. Mm. Also, they also said like full stop. In, in the like they're trying to be professional and they're like oh it's all here full stop and i was like wait a second like that's but why the intern write this that's that's <laughs> that's been my least favorite phrase on the internet for for a long time but them putting that in an official press release yes it's like which millennial 17 year old marketing intern did you have that write a, wrote a legal response to the new york attorney general's office you yeah. idiots and, and and like the fact that that got through along with the quickness of the response is like something is off. Something doesn't smell right. Like I'm just kind of, kind of still be on the sidelines enjoying, you know, having a little bit of popcorn, but like it's a little nerve wracking. Um, Cause bit, you know, Bifinex you know, was like 2017, 2018 still had a huge amount of users, huge amount of people trading on it. Um, 2016, they had that hack, but like kind of recovered nicely. They had the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the equity thing that they, that they did. But like, if that were to go, that's, that's devastating. Um, the theory that I had was like, you know, Tether, uh, if Tether failed, like, you know, people would be going into Bitcoin, but like just market sentiment can literally override that. Oh, um, yeah. If people are like, holy crap, this exchange just demolished because of what happened. You know, I mean, I hope not. Um, that could override the whole like narrative of of, te- of big, it, anything being good for Bitcoin coming from this. Yeah, that's that's kind of like one of the unfortunate things about it, too. It's like even if you're somebody that does not use Bitfinex at all. Even if you're somebody that uses maybe an exchange that has has Tether on it, but like, you know, if you use Binance or use something else and you use either like actual US dollar, or you use Paxos or GUSD or TUSD or one of the 50 billion other stable coins out there that are actually like audited stable coins now, you're still probably going to get wrecked if all this stuff goes down and there's not all that much you can do about it other than potentially sitting in a stable coin for, you know, quite some time or sitting in fiat uh, and kind of waiting it out and it's been to the point where it's like this is ha- I feel like this is this has kind of like this type of news has happened so many times before and I feel like people kind of continually get tired of it and then they're like well nothing's happened in the past is anything actually going to happen in the future but I've always kind of thought like in crypto it's just like anytime there's smoke there's fire exactly like, yeah. it's, it's some something's not something not good is happening and, here. and some of the takes are getting worse like it was I think it was CZ on Twitter was like oh users are in charge of their balances and I was like wait no, no, like that's a that's liability for you, man. If, if something's wrong with Tether, that's huge liability for Binance because Binance, I think, has like one of the highest Binance, balances. Binance yeah. has the highest balance, and it was interesting too. So I think that was in response to to Randy's tweet on or to Randy put out a tweet on a tweet on Twitter, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> a I think tweet had, on Facebook. Yeah, put out a tweet <laughs> on Facebook, um, and they had about eight hundred, I think, eighty million dollars in Tether on their books um, or just in their in their wallets. And that number three days later was, I think, 805. So it already dropped 75 mil uh, in Tether. But one of the interesting theories, I was talking to somebody on, on Telegram about this, is that basically, if this is like in a really bad situation, Binance kind of bails Bitfinex and Tether out or bails Tether out because number one, their users will get absolutely screwed if everything bad happens with Tether. Um, anything bad happens with Tether, like, yes, it's not Binance, but like they might not be losing it, but it's their users. And I'm sure that's, you know, 
legal mess or, or just some. It's it's not good. Um, but then also to that point too, it's kind of another opportunity for CZ to become the hero. You know, the hero, which, exactly. Which is absolutely smart because and now I'm seeing what you're saying. Like any exchange trading it, like let's say something happens to it, just essentially just becomes like it's a liability for all of them. And the smartest thing, like you're saying, is like a bailout, which would suck, but it could easily be spun. Yeah, and CZ becomes the hero in that case. There's nobody who's better at the the spin zone than than CZ. There's there's yeah. no one who's mastered the spin zone on 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 crypto Twitter in Twitter. It could also be used to like promote the decks too, where it's like everything's non custodial. You know, you don't have to worry about anything anymore. Exactly, It'll just kind of like feed into that narrative as well. So as as somebody who you know does a lot of research on different platforms, I think you know you've spent a lot of time looking at Ethereum, certain Ethereum competitors. What are your thoughts on on getting to that point? Binance chain, like that's been it's been it's been funny too. As as somebody who is in you know, a variety of of kind of Ethereum Telegram groups, I've literally had like every day there's somebody like, hey, you need to move to Binance chain. You need to move to Binance chain. You need to move to Binance chain. What do, what what is it like? What are your thoughts on it? I think I'm like not excited at all of Binance chain. Um, it's just. It's pure marketing material. I think there's, there's like node control too at Binance too. It's like, I feel like Binance chain is just going to be the, the, the safe haven for any payment token that was made. Like payment tokens being like, kind of like, oh, we just have this kind of uh, money for, for dog food. Like we have this token for dog food. It'll like pay in dog food. We have this marketplace. And then because if the marketplace goes up, dog food token goes up as well. Um, but the thing is like, you don't need that on a blockchain at all. Like, let alone Ethereum for something like that. Like, it just should not be on, on, on it should be, it should not be a token on a blockchain. Yeah. It's much easier facilitated through like a central database and points or whatever it is. And then Binance Chain becomes this like, hey, we can move here, get the speed we need because we don't have to worry about censorship resistance for our dog food points. Um, and then it all of a sudden became like a huge, uh, like market moving event. I think it was like Mithril that was the first token that was announced. Even though Mithril does, I think Mithril is like another like payment token, um, and then just the price exploded like seventy to seventy five percent just on the announcement of being on Binance Chain, and like the next day, a ton of other announcements and projects that use payment tokens are just like, yeah, we're on Binance Chain now. It's the greatest thing since sliced it was, bread. It was crazy diminishing returns though, because Mithril is the first one, and that thing pumped to the moon. I think it was like you said, like eighty percent, something like that. I think there were a few afterwards that I saw one pumped like 15% in like 15 minutes. And then like you literally had to zoom into a five minute candle to see where it was because everything else, you just saw one wick and that was yeah. it. And and it just brought me back to the, like everyone's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're in a bear market. Things are being built. Everything's like being rational again. And then I see this and I'm like, no, nah, we're, we're, we're still here. Like we're still on this absurd planet of like a rational exuberance. Yeah. Like, it's still, you know, you're still going to have these absurd events where there's nothing meriting any of these kinds of movements. There's nothing revolutionary about the technology that's being used or why a certain company is doing something, but the market's just responding in this ridiculous way. Like it's, it's just reminding me of like 2017, like flashbacks from like 20, like late 2017, early 2018. It's, it's really funny to watch just like in general. And I think it's also like, the trends evolve and the trends move so quickly in crypto as well. Like looking even at like the IEO crap that's yeah. happening. You need these stories. You need these things to keep pushing the drama along. The thing is that it, the building is great. You know, people are coming out with new technologies every day, but you still need that drama there. Like 
right before IEOs, we were kind of closing the Bitcoin SV chapter, the crazy Craig and, and Calvin Air whole thing. Just moving on to IEOs is like watch it lawsuits. I'm, I'm I, listen. I never said whether or not Craig is Satoshi. <laughs> and yeah, he's he's they've been on a roll, man. It's like it's like watching like Dragon Ball Z sagas. Like you just keep getting these like little pockets of like insanity that just keep moving forward in these like you know pockets of drama. The cri- crypto space is um, not to be gender specific here, but I I do think that a lot of it is basically like soap operas for guys like it's like (laughs) like it's like the the drama tv show that like like that that nerdy guys enjoy like it's it's ridiculous how much drama and like idiotic stuff happens on crypto twitter on a daily basis and because why it's all dudes yeah which is yeah which (laughs) is man this is stupid (laughs) which is watching (laughs) which is why it's the industry is uh 90% 90% guys right now because a bunch of dudes yelling at each other on crypto Twitter arguing about who's Satoshi and and it's a measuring contest yes yes I'll leave it at that <laughs> yes for for it, I would say for better for worse but it's definitely for worse at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the last time you were on we talked a little bit about uh TCR party which is something you were working on um that experience that was definitely pretty pretty cool to watch that kind of go through like the motions of, of how you guys created it. But like, what has it taught you about token curated registries? Um, like what, what lessons have, have you and your team learned from that? So with that, we learned a couple things. The first is kind of, we couldn't test anything economics wise, but interest and subjectivity it's, we did a bit of, a bit of customer development, like interviews towards the end of it. And it turned into, it was funny to see the same pattern of, I didn't know what the list was about, but I wanted to be on that list. Like it was a pure popularity contest. Um, it was like, we had over 500 users, which was kind of cool. Um, there's still people using it to this day as like a, just like people still being voted on. I think Andrew Yang actually got onto the list. I voted against him, but I guess I got outvoted in the challenge period. So people are still kind of using it. It's still kind of stuck to the, you know, the list of crypto people. Cause I yeah. guess Andrew, like, even Andrew Yang like has his whole stance on like their digital currencies. So there's still a part being played there. Um, But we learned that kind of building these, I wouldn't trust a TCR for huge high stakes, like objective information. What I do like them is like these small curated pockets of information. So I think it was um, uh, Tom from Delphi was saying like he pointed someone who was looking for like information in the crypto space to just the TCR bot that was retweeting everyone on on the list. And I'm like, oh, that's, if that's kind of the end game, what happened here? That's fantastic. It's like it served its purpose. It's a registry of like 99 people talking about crypto that give enough uh, signal rather than noise that someone's pointing someone else to that actual list, that it's done its job. But we also learned that even like when curating these lists, you have to set the tone or else it'll go off the rails. So the reason it was good that kind of we were obviously there first to kind of do the first couple nominations because then people just essentially follow the trend. Um, we honestly haven't been able to really develop any more on it. Because it's it was it was a bit of a cost sink for us. We're not selling TCR party. There's no way to sell TCR party. Yeah. But it was fun to do because we learned about a, a lot about TCRs and how people act with TCRs, even without the economics component. Um, and then it was fun to also see there was a uh, an auger market that opened up for egging Calvin Air. So someone is like, "Hey, is Calvin Air going to get egged by this day?" But the way the reporting worked was, it wasn't the reporter who's just going to say yes or no. What's going to happen is if someone submits a video of it happening, a member of TCR party 
has to submit a poll to Twitter and let people verify as to whether or not the video is staged. And then the reporter has to take that result and report that way. So essentially the, the token curator registry became like the arbiter of the market saying whether or not a video is, was falsified or not. But I thought that was kind of cool um, and a really for like hyper localized examples like that, like that's just going to happen in a time and a place. Like it's really tough to like, if I put a market out on you tripping on the sidewalk, like how would I know when that's going to happen? It's just such an isolated incident that it's tough for an outside reporter to get an accurate yeah. gauge on. So like using a group like that, that's highly specialized, you know, to be somewhat of a reporter on a market like that is interesting, but I think it's too isolated to, to like keep using, like there's not gonna be a lot of money, like in a market like that, like someone tripping, like just random, random guy is not gonna generate enough money on both sides as to whether or not it's gonna happen. And it's such an, it's such an event that could be like gamed slash there's low interest. So there's not really a reason to have all these big reporting groups to just like verify something. But it was it was it was a fun thing to see someone did with TCR party that I was like, oh, that's that's neat. Like I kind of, I just participated in my first Augur market and I'm about to lose and lose. You a may bunch or of, may not have participated. Uh, I I may <laughs> I may have. Um, I it was Will uh, Pete Butigag. I don't know Mayor Pete the. Uh, politician whatever yeah um will he have one million twitter followers and uh there was a market for it on auger and Vale, and um i was like oh this is like i looked on social blade i was tracking the numbers it was the surest fire win ever and all of a sudden in the past like three days he was like maybe twenty five thousand followers away was getting like six eight thousand followers a day drops to three thousand followers and I'm like, oh, they, just kissing my ETH goodbye. Uh, so there's, I believe for this specific market, it's just on the the day that it's on May 1st is he has to have a million Twitter followers, I think on May 1st or by May 1st. But I was looking, I was using Social Blade to track yeah. his his followers. And I was like, this is easy money. I'm just, this this is like, I'm, I'm printing Ethereum here. This is great. This is, you know, hashtag DeFi. Uh and I'm just donating my Ethereum to the opposite to the side, side of the market. And that's the thing, like with a market like that, you're also betting on whether or not people are going to buy followers or report the account. So what happens if the account gets reported and suspended like before the market closes? Then the whole market's just thrown out of whack. Yeah. That's, yeah. And so how, was, how was your experience using Vail? Uh, it it wasn't, uh, wasn't bad. I think that... So I, I think, and I was talking to somebody re- recently, like the, the user interface of, of Veil is, is nice, um, but the concept of like betting on Augur to me is still fairly confusing. Like I had to read the blog post about, like I'm not the dumbest guy in the room. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I don't know all that much about prediction markets, but there's kind of like two different concepts. There's the, the binary market, and then there is a market with kind of like... Uh, basically two different price bands essentially where the kind of the, the price and what you're actually betting on fluctuates is not a it's not a binary or were these the veil deriv- derivatives um i don't even think they're derivatives they're just like two different types that you can essentially bet on right now like in this case it was will mayor pete have a million followers yes or no and you can buy yes or you could buy no and depending upon um who's on like each side of the market it's more expensive to buy yes versus no or no versus yes. And the other one, um, I think the other example is there is a market for Andrew Yang and it's like, well, how many Twitter followers will Andrew Yang have? 
And then there's an actually like an order book and there's kind of two different views. There's like a simplified view and then there's like an order book expert view as well. But just in comparison to like, if you were to bet on sports in general or something like that, it's like way more confusing than if I were to go on any type of, of like sports gambling website and just be like, uh, I want to, you know, I want to bet on the, the Jets minus three to win the, you know, to win the first game of the season or something like yeah. that. And you just see your odds right off the top and somebody takes, you know, somebody takes the other side of that. So it was a little bit, it was like a little bit confusing, but the actual like interface is pretty decent. And, and that's what I've been thinking about with like something like Augur. What's going to happen if like, so let's say Augur gets enough interest in, in, cause what's Augur great at right now? It's these little like niche markets like like the egging like the mm-hmm. twitter followers thing um but it's not good at the markets that have you know the most interest in them so like political uh sports yeah. that have easily like hugely broad broadcasted outcomes like you know but like we're, march we're, march madness was one that i think somebody was complaining on in one telegram group like there was no action yeah like, it's like at why all would i march use madness. auger for march madness like there's no point when you know i could easily do it on a sports betting site and I, I can trust the Oracle because it's the damn organization that the information is coming from the organization yeah. that, that carried out the games. And there's enough information online that can confirm that belief. And my fear with like something like Augur is, I'd say Augur ever does pick up traction in like these kinds of markets. What happens when, you know, regulators notice and potentially loosen up restrictions on betting and the centralized markets benefit from those loosening of restrictions. And then all the people who went to Augur to be in this kind of gray area of betting are like, oh, I could do it on the centralized service now and it's a great experience. Let's move back. Does it then lose the value proposition that like kind of Augur has built up over time? Um, Because I'm trying to still see, even with Augur as an example of like these decentralized tools, you know, where's the case outside of, you know, like traditional markets I could easily bet on with existing sites that do it great. Yeah. Like, I guess it's, it's, these hyper localized markets and even like gray area markets, like, like black markets, mm. like really bad crap. Um, which I don't know how many people are even betting on. Whereas, you know, even if the dream happens of politician, you know, political markets and sports markets going up, it might just lead the centralized services and regulators to be like, okay, let's loosen it a little bit. People just keep migrate all the way back to centralized services because they do it better. Yeah. It's, I think what's, what's happening with Augur is, is interesting. And, I feel like some people have been like frustrated at how like maybe slow the pickup is in comparison to to what they were expecting. I think that's just generally speaking for a lot of the like quote unquote decentralized things in general. Yeah. Like there there really hasn't been like incredibly fast pickup for anything. Almost any, almost <laughs> anything decentralized outside of things like at the protocol level, like things that are building on top of a protocol or utilizing a protocol like they've definitely been like, you know, moving pretty slow out maybe like with the exception of a maker dow um the killer case is we can move this value back and forth mm. which is kind of what's slowly mid, you know me becoming a heavier bitcoiner yeah like in terms of how i think it's like if these products are interesting they're fun to look at they're fun to like think about how they could be used and then it boils back to okay i could send you ether i could send you bitcoin just as this you know store of value that we're moving back and forth yeah. and settle and then i'm like okay that's it's cool. That's where we're starting. But all these kind of other projects are just very wide in scope, very like, I'm like, all right, who's going to be using this? Where are the cases? So still want to believe. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's kind of like where we're at right now too. Of, of Like everybody keeps asking like, what's the next thing that's going to bring in like the bull run or the next, 
not even taking taking the price out of it. like what's the next thing that's going to bring in mass adoption what's going to bring in the next wave of people and i don't think anybody has a damn idea like i really i really don't think anybody has a damn clue um and part of it is because i do think like there is some element of building like products that maybe like people don't need or you know they're you're either incredibly early or whatever or maybe just decentralized you know decentralization or like non-custodial aspects is not something that people either care about in at all right now or they just don't value that a lot and even when you're we're looking at some of the like things like lending on on ethereum has been one of the biggest things that has like taken off and you're starting, you know, like we've talked about maker and like compound finance and things like that. But then if you look too, I mean, on the centralized aspect, I think it came out the other day, like Genesis trading did like half a billion dollars in lending in like Q1. They're doing great. All these centralized uh, services are killing them, like man. Block Bl- Blockfi too. did, I don't know how much in like in uh, Bitcoin and ETH lending, like an incredible amount of money. So that's a very clear use case. And then there's also like maybe not as much differentiation there between centralized and decentralized services. There might be some people that are using the non-custodial or the decentralized services because they have to, because they don't want to KYC or they don't want to legitimize themselves with, with BlockFi or with Genesis or whatever it might be. But um, it's just interesting to watch all this stuff progress. Yeah. And watching like the centralized services and decentralized services compete and kind of who's offering the better experience right now. And what are the trade-offs? Mm. Like you just mentioned, like what's the, you know, using a Dharma versus a BlockFi and like viewing that and watching it happen real time, which has been fascinating. Um, and the product side, I'm curious to see more cases like like Brave. Um, like I'm not a fan of that at all, but like, you know, integrating because you have millions of Brave users, like kind of just having this appendage that's the crypto side. Um, and I know you have more experience with uh, like Brave and Bat, yeah. Bat than I do, but like just seeing, you know, where, 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 are, the, where are the levers being like pulled on having that that decentralized quote unquote option in centralized services kind of the mix up rather than the competing services on either side of the centralization scale yeah i i so i use the brave browser um probably 50 percent of the time i like the brave browser a lot i think they've done a really good job and they made it a lot better in the past like six eight months something like that um and then i've been a verified publisher i think my youtube channel my twitch as well so i've been like a verified publisher the one thing about brave that's kind of I guess the 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 like the choke point of decentralization is the actual payouts to creators, and I don't know um, I don't know what it's like for actual users because I haven't um, I haven't done the registration for actually getting paid to watch ads because that's what they just released I think earlier last week uh, is the actual ability now for they have advertising programs where users can sign up for that and then they get paid I believe they get paid basic attention token for their time to watch these, uh, you know, these videos or these advertisements, whatever it might be. But for an actual, uh, for an actual like content creator, uh, uh, content partner, whatever it's called, um, you have to KYC and do all this stuff through uphold. And then you actually determine what you want to get paid at um, via uphold. So like I can get paid in USD, uh, USD, I can get paid in bad if I want, I can get paid in BTC, I can get paid in like 40 different currencies through through uphold. 
but it's still kind of strange that I have to go through this like third party and I get the, you know, the, the kind of business components of that. And I'm curious, I, I should probably check that actually after we, you know, finish this up is like, what happens with the users? Like what, what, what happens with them? Do they have to go through uphold as well? Because if they do, and it's I'm a not a huge, yeah, yeah I'm not like, a huge fan, but yeah. it was billed like as this decentralized thing. And then now there's a centralized choke point. So like, what's the, the point? Yeah, all of it. It was kind of like, yeah, you get paid, and then they just write to your wallet. And it's like, wait, okay, now you got uphold, which is KYC AML. Like, fine, like, great. You know, you're operating as a business. You're trying to remain on the side of regulation, which is great. But like, what is it being billed at versus what is really happening? And yeah. Then, and then you got like the the fringe cases, like like Gab, who are just like, let's just fork Brave and get rid of everything and and build it ourselves in our own little silo in the basement. Yeah, I, I've talked about that a little bit before, and I think like that was. There were like kind of two sides of the coin where they like build. I feel like Gab kind of like build that as we're 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 doing this because basic attention token BAT is a shit coin and we will never support a shit coin um, and we just want to like get rid of it um, and we're like badasses and we're gonna get rid of a shit coin and, and use this to our benefit. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, I think that like Brave was like taking the open source code that they had was probably the easiest way because they gotten deep platform from basically every other browser um, where they're like putting this extension dissenter that's basically adding a comment section to every website that's banned a comment section to allow Gab users to comment, which is, you know, interesting if that's, you know, that's kind of, I'm not, it's not my <laughs> cup of tea, but it's, you know, that's, that's what they're building. And it, it might have, you know, a, a really big use case. The comment section is usually a wild, wild place. Um, so they're trying to do that, but like I think the Google Chrome store banned them, like the Firefox store banned them, so they couldn't build their extension. So they're basically building a brow the Brave browser with the built-in extension, and then now they're integrating Bitcoin into it somehow. I don't exactly know how. Server. And you know, Bitcoiners are like, oh yeah, you know, rip out basic attention token, use Bitcoin, that's sick. But I kind of think like it's just using the Bitcoin aspect to like get the publicity and like yeah. get the get the goodwill like they complained a lot like btc pay server i remember was an option for them for a long time yeah but they wanted like the theatrics of like we've been deplatformed no one will accept us and then like everyone's just like for the last three months like look btc pay server like do it yourself just yeah just do it like no what was <laughs> me and then it became like a whole drama story that just yeah. got people involved so uh deplatforming <laughs> oh my god uh, I mean, outside of that, is there anything? I think we, I mean, we definitely covered covered quite a bit today in a, in a round of, of, of shit coins and hot takes and other stuff. Anything that, you know, maybe we didn't cover that you want to to add into the mix? I think IEOs are dead. I think it was lightning in a bottle. I think this is like the last thing that came to mind. I'm like, I think someone posted a chart today of like returns. I, I still have like the tinfoil hat theory of like, you know, with the BitTorrent ICO being the first IEO. They wanted to make sure it had enough market movements to make it look lucrative. And then a bunch of other IEOs happened that also looked good to begin with. Um, they got people all hyped up, but now I think they're just like, everything's getting crushed now again. Like the hype cycle's over, they made their millions, and now it's just time to move on to the next shiny object. Um, I mean, Binance in particular, I was just like, oh, so it's it's all about Binance stacks now, right? Let's just kind of sweep the IEOs yeah. under, the, uh, under the rug right now. I I think I'm probably going to make a video tomorrow and I that chart I think I, I think it was Alex Kruger uh, I believe Yeah Alex Kruger yeah So yeah that chart that came out and I think I'm literally just going to make a video tomorrow that's going to be called Don't Buy IEOs um and specifically like if you want to 
if you can get, if you somehow have fast enough fingers to fill out a CAPTCHA in like less than 0.1 milliseconds and you beat out all the click farms in wherever they are and you actually get like an initial allocation of an IEO, sure, buy it, flip it the second it gets on an exchange and, you know, walk away with your money. But for the love of God, do not buy an IEO after it hits an exchange because every single chart looks exact, like it looks exactly the same. It's just like there was... BitTorrent had like a, a second level of a pump, but every other IEO that's come out after that, it's just been a slow death downhill. Yeah. It looks like the Zcash chart. And oh my God, <laughs> yeah, the Grin chart too. I'm curious though, like I know very block. Then the thing was like, they got people excited because they were at least like legitimate. And I say legitimate as in they were like actually building something. Yeah. Like not just kind of smoke and mirrors. Like they had, they had like, it's hard for me to say anything about BitTorrent because of Tron, the whole Tron thing, but like even Seller, and I know Ocean Protocol was trying to do one with Bittrex. I'm not sure if they went through with it. Um, I was fetch.ai. Like I met those yep. guys like, you know, a, a while ago and and just knowing they were they were recognizable names. And it's just, you know, it's gone totally off off the rails with all the other exchanges doing it now. Um, the one I think that kind of went against the trend, wasn't it like Veriblock on Bittrex that I think didn't do as well as the others? I think it, Veriblock basically off the bat was almost in the negative or in the negative. Yeah. Like, I don't think it ever really pumped. Like, everything on Binance is still up, I believe, from, Something. like, still up a multiple over what it actually IEO'd at. So if you bought in on the IEO, you made money in every single Binance one. I don't think it's the same for every other exchange. Yeah. The one thing that, and I, I know, like, you did, you know, I used to probably do a ton of work on this with, like, Token Foundry, but, like, the distribution model of this is like the it's the word it's like as bad or or worse than ico's because like a tiny 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 percentage you are get you are guaranteed well number one it's a tiny percentage of what these actually you know hold or like the, the 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 actual entire cap of it but even that like it is such a tiny or it's you you know exactly that's going to hit an exchange so 99 percent of these people are buying these tokens 99.99% of these people are buying tokens with the sole intention of flipping them the second they become available on the exchange. So there is nobody actually using any of these for any type of intended purpose. Absolutely. And you see it the second they hit the chart. Yeah, it's it, it's not because there's these tokens have like these amazing utility you could use on day one. It's just like, you know it's going to be listed. And that's what, you know, if you look back at 2017, 2018, it was always like, when exchange, like yeah. when is the project, when am I going to be able to trade these tokens? So the IEOs offered a situation where it was like just automatically going to be listed. I know Binance, even before they did BitTorrent, had the launch pad with both Bread and Gifto. And, Gifto, yeah. and they both got listed. And they, yeah. You know, it's like it, it turned when exchange into, okay, exchange is happening, got to get in. And it just became this like FOMO event of like, we just got to get in now because we know it's going to get listed on Binance. Because Binance was always the, the big pinnacle of like, oh, when Binance. It had its own like phrase. Yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me today. If anybody is interested to follow Rocco on Twitter, if you don't do that already, um, I'll throw all his information in. But I mean, like I said, he's been on three times before. So if you haven't followed him yet, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, but outside of that, really appreciate everybody's time. Um, thanks again, Rocco. Yeah, thanks for having me. Later, everybody.